0: Good morning. As you find your place, please stand and join us in worship.
1: Hear the heart of heaven beating. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And the hush of mercy breathing. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Hear the Holy Sound of joy repeating. Jesus saves. See the humblest hearts adorn Him. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And the wisest bow before Him. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. See the sky of.
2: Thank you for joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected.
0: Mark your calendar now for the church camp out on August 18th through the 20th. Please see Pastor Brad if you're interested in leading this activity. Young couples, you are invited to participate in marriage mentoring. This is a one-year program designed to strengthen your marriage by partnering you with an experienced married couple for monthly biblical counsel and encouragement. If you are interested or have any questions, please see Johnny Martin or Pastor Brad.
2: Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with a Sunday evening community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m.
0: In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years to the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the Giving Box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page.
2: If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out for a special gift after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning.
3: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. I want to mention a couple of other announcements today as we get started. First of all, the C4 College and Career class has an activity this coming Saturday, and it starts at the Jacobs home, and that starts at 3 p.m., and they're going to go hiking and have a barbecue together. So if you are in that age category, 18 to 25-ish, and you have questions, you can see Eric or Angie. Would you guys wave right back there? They can answer your questions. And uh, we hope that you'll join them for the C4 activity this coming Saturday. Also, this calendar year, it has been such a blessing to have so many baptisms and to see several of our adults follow the Lord in baptism. It's just been such a personal blessing to me and I know to many of you. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have another one. So we didn't even have time to get it on the announcement videos But there will be a baptism next Sunday morning, and if you have questions about that or just questions about baptism in general, I would be happy to chat with you after our gathering today and try to answer those questions for you. But that'll be next Sunday, August the 13th. I've heard of pastors sometimes being accused of always talking about money, and um I, on the other hand, have probably erred on the other end of the spectrum. I never talk about money. The Lord provides for our ministry in remarkable ways. But I was reminded to talk about something specific today for just a minute. So you might have missed our normal um, business meetings, our member meetings. If you're not able to stay for those, you might not understand something about this church. And that is that every Sunday morning you hear on the announcement videos that giving is one of the Important ways that we use to worship the Lord. Actually, Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, talks about giving to the Lord and giving with gladness and giving with a spirit of generosity and joy and letting God use the funds that he's entrusted to us to advance the priorities of Jesus. And you might not realize that there are several families in the church who just right off the top of their income Whether they're working still or retired, they take a certain percentage and they just send it to the church to fund the ministry and to fund our missionaries and our staff and the buildings and all of those things come from faithful people that just regularly give and and call that, probably call that their tithe. That's the Old Testament word, it means 10%, um, to help fund the ministry of the church. The church also has several individual funds that are set up for particular purpose, and I want to just highlight one of those for you this morning. Um, There's a fund that we use to collect money to help kids go to Wixom Christian School, and every year it's a joy for the deacons to be able to go to a family who's under special circumstances and say to them, hey, we want to help you. And, And I think Many of you are aware of children who have lost a parent or who've had a tragedy in their life and who've needed help, and the church has been able to come in during that crisis moment. And this year is no different. One of our students is going to be, a, be attending this first semester free of charge, and they're undergoing a really difficult time in their family, and um, the church is able to pay for that. And so thank you for participating in that fund. But I just wanted to mention to you that that, that is essentially one semester for one kid. And we've told them, hey, we'd like to see your child stay for the whole year, but that kind of depends on the generosity of the church. And so my challenge to you today is to, if, you, if you're not giving towards the ministry of the church, uh, this is not a tele-evangelist commercial, okay? Um, the Lord's got plenty of money and the work is going forward, but if you want to get involved in part that part of worship and giving generously and joyfully to the Lord, we certainly want to encourage that of you. The announcement's tell you a couple of ways to do that actually the easiest way to do that I'll just tell you is to ask your bank to do it for you automatically and then you don't even have to think about it that's what most of our families do Um, but I want to I also want to challenge you on this idea of um, the school scholarship fund it'd be a blessing to even be able to use this for more students and to certainly bless this family with second semester's tuition as we have done with the first and so wanted you to be aware of that and consider participating in it. Right before we pray, just one other thing I wanted to mention to you, and that is that often we discuss discipleship, and you're probably aware that twice a year I teach a Sunday school class on discipleship, and of course the the easy definition of discipleship, the biblical one, is following Jesus, right? But here at First Baptist Church, we try to put some intentionality and some meat on those bones to make it tangible and so discipleship for us looks like one-on-one or two-on-two meetings that are bible study centered and focused and then we encourage bible memory and we encourage prayer together and accountability and all of those things and many of the people in the church are involved in discipleship in one way or another in fact i would say most if we said raise your hand if you're involved most in this room would say i'm involved and it's a blessing to me several people in the church have several discipleship relationships where they're leading three or four different people. And so I just want to talk about that for just a minute. This is what our goal is that everybody in the church be involved in discipleship, either as a leader or as a follower or both, maybe doing both. And these three books are the three first books that we use. This is the exchange. This is basically a four-week worship study. It's about the character of God and what it means for us in terms of the gospel, how to be saved. And this is a really great study if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian or if you're a new Christian or if you're just getting into discipleship. This is a great study because it's focused on the character of God. And then this book called The Foundations is really a 12-week study on Christian basics, like why attend church and Why give? Why be baptized? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does that work with the rest of the Trinity, etc.? This answers kind of basic questions. And then the walk is basically book two. If you did these three books one-on-one, once a week, it would take you about a year to get through them. And we would encourage everybody to start with that. I've talked to so many people in our church who said, hey, I was hesitant to be involved in discipleship, and i got to tell you, it's the best thing for my spiritual walk. And so I just want to encourage you to consider it and to, to talk to Johnny. Johnny, are you in the auditorium? Johnny's right there. Wave hello, higher. If you have questions, see Johnny. He can set you up with discipleship, get you paired up with somebody, recommend a book, and get you started. Again, it's great to have you here today. looking forward to our time of worship together. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we're so grateful for the truth of the song we just sang. That Jesus saves. And Lord, we can hear your heart beating. We can see your love tangibly on the cross. And today as we think about Psalm 22 and as we think about Jesus on the cross taking on our sin and the rejection that that created, would you help us to worship you in spirit and in truth? As we sing these songs today, would you help us to think bigger thoughts of our Savior and glorify Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Please stand as we continue. next song, uh, I just think about how, how much of a blessing it is that our salvation isn't found in ourselves or, or in other things. that Our salvation is in Jesus Christ.
3: And carry the first line of that song says thank you for the cross lord and that's what we want to do today i'm excited to preach to you from psalm 22 this morning psalm number 22 if you want to join me there we've been in a theology of worship from the book of psalms and we've been talking about characteristics of god and And then asking the question, how should I respond to that characteristic? And I've been reminding you that if your view of God is wrong, you as a Christian will be wrong. If your view of God is wrong, your church will be wrong. And so what we're doing here during this hour is very, very important. We need to know what God is like to learn about him more so that we can live for him better. And last week, these two things connected like really tangibly together. Our topic was that God is missional last week. And so how do we respond? Well, we go on his mission, the mission of sharing Jesus with the nations. And we ended last week with a challenge. And I just want to go back to that challenge for just a minute in case you were getting tired and missed the very end of the message last week. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. I gave you some suggestions for being on mission here in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your family? How do you be on mission? A couple of things. One, pray. Pray for unsaved people and pray for opportunities to share with them the gospel. Pray. Secondly, prepare yourself. Know the gospel really well. One of the Bible studies that I just mentioned, the exchange, that four-week Bible study... One of the reasons we want everybody to go through that is so that you have confidence in sharing the gospel with other people. Thirdly, develop redemptive relationships. And we've challenged you to have at least five unsaved friends that you're praying for, that you're talking to, and that you're trying to move the conversation closer and closer to Jesus and his gospel. Fourthly, to actually talk about Jesus. It's easy for us to talk about God and talk about church and talk about religion Hard for most Christians to actually get to talking about Jesus, turning the conversation to the gospel whenever possible. And then lastly, I reminded you to expect a harvest, expect people to be saved. People are still being saved today, but the pressure is not on you. The results are in the Lord's hands. The Lord is the one who saves, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to the Father. So expect a harvest but leave the results to the Lord. I hope you'll take that challenge seriously. Somebody told me this last week, Pastor Brad, at the end of one of your messages, you gave us a challenge. And I don't know if anybody ever told you, but I took the challenge. And I told him, I said, wow, that that encouraged me because I didn't know if anybody took it or not. So hopefully today, somebody will take the challenge to be on mission. Our subject today is that our God is Messiah, Messiah. And we're in Psalm number 22. This is really a... Very interesting psalm. It's a psalm written by David, and we don't know what the circumstances were. Some people think he was just kind of like in this inspirational trance writing things down he didn't understand. I tend to believe it was probably a difficult circumstance he was going through, and he felt abandoned by God. It's interesting, though, in this psalm, some of the things David is thinking are wrong. He feels like God's left him, God hasn't left him, but this is how he feels. But if you read this psalm in the context of Messiah, in the context of Jesus, it is a remarkable psalm. It's incredibly detailed in its prophecy. And so David was foreshadowing or prophesying of Jesus several times throughout this psalm and probably didn't even realize it. And it's, when you start to see this psalm in the context of Jesus, it's kind of like a bright star in the sky. You see it at night, and it's really bright, and it's pretty, and then the sun comes up and you can't see the star anymore. Once you see this psalm in the context of Jesus, it's hard to see David anymore. You just can't find him. Like, I can't, I don't know what David was thinking, but this is definitely Jesus. And so today we're not really talking about a characteristic of God as much as the identity of Of the Messiah. We might say, not only is our God Messiah, but Messiah is God. We want to think more deeply about Jesus. And we're talking about Jesus on the cross. This word Messiah means promised deliverer or savior. It's the Old Testament equivalent to Christ. Let me remind you of a conversation Jesus had with a woman at the well. The woman said unto Jesus, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So Messiah and Christ. This is similar titles for the promised deliverer. And this psalm describes Jesus' death on the cross in amazing detail. And here's the thing about it. It was written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. Even more amazingly, it was written centuries before crucifixion was even invented. Nobody even knew what crucifixion was. And yet, David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes of Jesus, of Messiah, in incredibly detailed ways. This is a little bit of a lengthy psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I want to show you just four small parts of this that, that reflect on Jesus. Psalm 22, listen to the words of God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night seasons and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel." Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh to scorn. and they shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for help is near, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them, among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he's the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Would you pray with me as we get started today? Father, it is such a privilege to come into your presence this morning. And we stand in awe of the opportunity we have to talk to a holy God. Lord, I ask that you would help our hearts to have an attitude of worship and submission as we gaze on your holiness and we think about our unworthiness. Lord, would you teach us today the the weight of our sin? Would you teach us today the depth of your love? As we come into your presence, Lord, would you help us to not only see your truth, but respond rightly to your truth? Father, without the Son, Jesus dying on the cross, giving himself for us, we would be forsaken by God. You would not be able to look on us. We would not be able to speak with you. This passage today help us to understand how special the privilege of coming into your presence actually is. It cost Jesus beyond what we can understand. Lord, help us to respond with thanksgiving and gratitude and worship today. We pray in your worthy Son's name. Amen. This passage contains at least five very specific details about the scene of the cross. Now, I was a math education major in college, but it's been a long time since I took probability and statistics. But I want to just tell you the probability and statistics. And the statistics here really quickly. okay? if I get this wrong, if you're a mathematician, forgive me. All right. But this is going to be close. So I want you just to imagine with me predicting something about somebody's death. Predicting something now, forget the fact that this is a thousand years ahead of time. okay? but predicting how someone is going to die. Imagine, let's just be very generous and say that there's a one in ten chance that when somebody dies, they feel abandoned by God. And so David then refers to this feeling of being abandoned by Almighty God. <clears throat> and then let's say there's a one in ten chance that when somebody's dying, other people will come in and mock them and say, hey, you trusted God. Let's see if God saves you now. Let's, let's just be generous and say there's a one in ten chance. I, I think that's very generous. Okay, that doesn't happen. But let's say that it does. One in ten chance. Let's say there's a one in ten chance that people, when they die, they have their hands and their feet pierced. And a one in ten chance that they have their garments parted. And a one in ten chance that not only are their garments parted, but people gamble over them. Which we know is not true. Okay, but let's just say, for sake of illustration, that's one in ten chance. If that's true, then to get all five of those correct would be like one in a hundred thousand chance. And to do it... A thousand years ahead of time, before crucifixion has been invented, it's it's zero chance, okay? There's just no way, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that David could get this right. And yet he gets it exactly right. Now, some have said that Jesus perhaps, while he was on the cross, was drawing inspiration from Psalm 22 and, and maybe meditating on it. Some have said that maybe he was quoting it. That maybe Jesus was like, hey, look. They're parting my garments. Hey, look, they're gambling over them. Like, are you guys seeing this? You guys remember Psalm 22? Like he's quoting it. I think actually what Jesus did at the beginning when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he was helping us and saying, hey, people, look back in your Bibles. You might see these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want you to go back and look and see what else happens in that chapter a thousand years before this Moment. Check it out. They're mocking me. They're telling me to call on my God to deliver me. They're parting my garments. They're gambling over my garments. They're piercing my hands. They're piercing my feet. This is the plan. I think Jesus is telling us that when he says from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I want you to see a couple of things about the cross. And this morning, if for nothing else, I want you to get a greater appreciation for the cross. I have. Having studied this this week, I'm just amazed by what happened here. I want you to see, number one, that we can see Messiah disowned by the Father for us. And this is so important. He's disowned by the Father. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Why are you not listening to the words of my roaring? Jesus quoted this in Mark 15 and in Matthew chapter 27. In Mark chapter 15, it says, When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you just to think about this question for just a minute this morning, okay? Think about it. Because it is incredibly profound. Just a few seconds ago, we were we were able to talk to God. We were in his presence, invited there because of the credentials of Jesus. And here's Jesus on the cross, forsaken by God, rejected by God. God literally turning his back on his son. What reason could there possibly be for that? Think about the son. This is the one in whom God said, I am well pleased. This is the only begotten of the Father. This is the one Paul described as all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. This is the crown prince of heaven. The eternally existing son of the Father. Their relationship has not been 50 years or 100 years or a 1,000 years. It's from eternity past. They've had this intricate oneness in relationship. The Father and the Son. And so we can kind of understand Judas. He was greedy and wanted money and didn't like the situation. And so we can kind of understand him forsaking Jesus. And we can kind of understand Peter because he was just a chicken and he was forsaking Jesus. And the other disciples ran. We can kind of get that. Some of us would run. But the father, how could he reject Jesus? What could possibly cause him to do that? That's one word. It's sin. And it's not his sin, it's our sin. Our sin. Here's what Peter said in first Peter, I'm sorry, let's go to Habakkuk one thirteen. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and you can't not look on iniquity. God cannot look on sin. Peter said this in first Peter chapter two. Jesus bear our sins in his own body on the tree. One of the songs that we like singing around here, I think it is How Deep the Father's Love for Us, that says this, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. It's my sin that caused the Father to disown him and to reject him. Now imagine the shock for Jesus. Imagine the shock. I mean, this word in Psalm 22, this verse, this first verse says, why are, your, why are you so far from the words of my roaring, my screaming, my agony? Why? Well, just imagine the shock for Jesus. This would be like somebody who maybe was born and raised in the Sahara Desert, and they've never seen water or a large body of water, never seen it. And you just take them in a helicopter and you take them to the Arctic Ocean and you just plunge them in, Right? Can you imagine the shock to your system? Maybe you've jumped in Lake Superior and you felt that shock before, like, whoo, that's cold, right? So here's Jesus, total shock, being abandoned by the Father, but it's not just the the stark difference of being sinless and perfect and then having the, the sin of the world on your shoulders, but this is repulsive to him, too. It's repulsive. Like when we think of the Sahara, that's a bad illustration because we're like, man, I feel refreshing to be dropped in the Arctic, right? But it wasn't refreshing for Jesus. This is repulsive to Jesus. It's repulsive to the Father. And it's shockingly different. And God, for a few hours, turned his back. It changed their relationship. Notice he says, my God. He doesn't say my Father. He's referred to God as his Father all throughout his ministry. But here he says... My God, why have you forsaken me? I was thinking about, like, what that must feel like as the father. That would be, I was thinking, like, with my kids, that would be like me getting an email from one of my children that says, Dear Pastor. If I got an email from one of my kids that said, Dear Pastor, here's what I would think. Something's wrong with the relationship, right? I'm pretty sure I'm dad to this person, right? Why the formality? But Jesus doesn't say, Father. He says, my God, why are you forsaking me? Sin had separated them. How horrific for Jesus. And can I just tell you just a quick like, personal application here? Because David is writing this and David feels forsaken by God. And Jesus actually was forsaken by God and sometimes when you're going through a hard time it feels like God's not listening are you with me sometimes it feels like he's not listening but can I just tell you he is listening he has not forsaken you and the reason we know he has not forsaken you is because of what's going on right here that he forsake Jesus for you that Jesus took that abandonment so that you could never be separated from the love of God That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you can never be separated because Jesus was separated, disowned, and forsaken on your behalf. That's number one. Messiah was disowned by the Father for us. I want you to see number two, that Messiah was discarded by humanity for us. It wasn't just the Father that turned His back. It was sinful men and women who also turned their back on Him. Look at verse Seven, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. want you think about Christ voluntarily humbling himself and condescending to us. We've talked about this before, but remember what he did. Jesus let go of his rights as being God and became a man. That alone was an incredible condescension that we can't even grasp. But he didn't just become any man. He became a servant. And he stepped down from manhood to servanthood. But not just any servant. He became a servant who would die. And he stepped down from that. But not just any death. He became a servant who would die on a cross all the way down as low as he possibly could. This is the condescension of Jesus. He only held on to enough strength to suffer. But even then, mankind turns on him. They don't recognize his love and his humble sacrifice. What they see is self-righteousness and pride. Think about this. Angels before Jesus cover their face and say, Holy, holy, holy. I can't even look at Him. This is the worthy Son of God slain before the foundations of the world. He's so holy. He's so righteous. He's so bright. I can't even look at Him. And yet the people before the cross walked by and wagged their heads and mocked Him and railed on Him. It wasn't enough to kill Him. They had to rub it in. And they mocked His trust of the Father. Matthew records it this way. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now think about it. it um, I think it's in Mark in this description, you also see the the two thieves on either side of Jesus. They're mocking him too. Everybody mocking the very Son of God. He's discarded by humanity. Thirdly, we see him dying in pain for us. Dying in pain. This is verses 14 through 17, where David describes this incredibly difficult death. It makes me think of another song that we sing that says this: What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Like sometimes we forget about the cost. Would you hang with me for a second as I read John 19? This is a little bit lengthy, but I just want you to think about the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now they were set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with the vinegar, and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that what he saith is true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. I mean, what were these people thinking? What were they thinking? I can tell you they were thinking the same thing that unbelievers have been thinking for centuries. That they were above God's plan. That they were doing their own thing. That they were totally in control. That Jesus was not king. Jesus literally pours out his life on the cross for them. And for you and for me. In agony. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's this new craze where people challenge one another to hang for a certain amount of time. And to hang for 60 seconds or hang for two minutes or whatever, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I was watching some people do this yesterday and like most people can get like 10 seconds. They just can't hold on. Some people can actually do a minute. Very, very few people can do a minute of hanging. Some can do longer, extremely strong and wiry athletes can do longer. But can you imagine hanging for hours? The cross literally pulled the shoulders out of socket Causing the one hanging there to suffocate, suffering in agony and thirst, dying in pain for us. This is what Jesus did to rescue you, to save you, so that you will never have to be separated from the Father. So that you never have to pay for your own sins. This is what Jesus did on the cross. And I want to show you, fourthly, that we see Messiah disrespected for us disrespected verse 18 they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture this is kind of a strange thing think about this from david's perspective for just a second i don't think he could have predicted this about messiah i wonder how this actually happened to him personally it's kind of an interesting description that somebody actually parted his garments and gambled for them i don't know But he certainly got it right with Jesus. John 19, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now, the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. It's interesting how John describes it at the end. He's like, look, it was prophesied. So the soldiers, they just did it. They had to. This is what God said was going to happen. This is what they did. Now, I want you to think about the irony of this for just a second. The creator, the master, the king, the prince of heaven, the most valuable being in the universe hangs on the cross right in front of them. And what are they interested in? His stuff. His clothes. They had to be dirty. I mean, they had to be torn and bloody. And yet, they said, you know what? Let's do this. Let's gamble for these things. There's some value here. Let that take care of itself. The way hung in front of them. The truth hung in front of them. The life Hung in front of them. But think about this. This is not untypical of humans. The most precious gift is offered to humans. And people say, ah, I'd rather have stuff. I'd rather have my things. I don't really want Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13. Some people receive the seed among thorns. This is he that hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. What Jesus was saying was this. Listen, there's some people who the, the very Lamb of God is presented to them as a free gift. And they say, I, I just would rather have my phone. I'd rather have my lunch. I'd rather have a comfortable seat. I'd rather have a nice cup of coffee. Like, I'm not really interested in the Lamb of God and what He has to offer. This is the attitude of these people. Most humans will take anything over Jesus. Disowned by the Father, discarded by men, dying a horrible death, disrespected by the soldiers. But I want you to see lastly, the doxology of praise from us to Messiah. I think this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Don and Carrie just played this song, Worthy is the Lamb. Let's think about his worthiness for just a second. Verse number 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. You know that someday all of the world will do this. All of the world will repent. We've talked about this before that a sinner, when they're born, every human being is headed the same direction. Let's pretend like this is the direction towards selfishness, towards sin and toward eternal destruction. Okay, so every sinner is born headed this way. In order to be saved, they must turn their back on their sin and say, "I choose Jesus. I'm going to actually follow Him." And even though I drag a little bit of that flesh with me and I still might sin, I, I follow Jesus. I make Him my goal. He's my priority. I choose a relationship with God. Here's what the Psalmist says in Psalm 14: The fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." They're corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So the fool is going this way and says, I see the offer. I'm not interested. I like my stuff better. And they just keep going. But the person who responds rightly to God says, No, you know what? I don't want that anymore. I want to seek God. I want a relationship with God. With God, how do I have a personal relationship with God? And that, of course, is through Jesus Christ. Someday, all the world will remember and turn to the Lord. Someday, all kindreds and nations will worship the Lord. Idols of all types will be relinquished. The exquisite Savior will be valued above all else. No longer will he be despised as a poor carpenter. The world will see him for who he is, Almighty omnipotent God someday the Lord will govern the nations in his kingdom someday every tongue will confess the exclusive righteousness of the Lord someday I like a song I I think it was written by Selah that says this would you listen to it it says this one day eyes that are blind will see you clearly and one day all who deny will finally believe One day hearts made of stone will break in pieces and one day chains once unbroken will fall down at your feet. So we wait for that one day that it would come quickly because we want to see your glory. Every knee fall down before you, every tongue offer you praise, with every hand raised singing glory to you and unto you only. We'll sing glory to your name. One day, voices that lie will all be silent. One day, all that's divided will be whole again. One day, death will retreat and wave its white flag. One day, love will defeat the strongest enemy, so we wait for that one day. May it come quickly. We want to see your glory. Every knee fall down before you. Every tongue offer you praise with every hand raised, singing glory. To you and unto you only. We'll sing glory to your name. What a great day that will be when every tongue confesses the exclusive righteousness of the Lord. I want to give you just three conclusions as we finish today. Three things to think about that I think are the right applications for us to take away from Psalm 22. Number one, if you're suffering today, remember God is faithful Even when you think he's not listening, God is faithful. This is David's point of the psalm, by the way. David's point is the faithfulness of God. He starts out by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But later on, he says, the Lord will not forsake his own. He remembers this. He gets it. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, he says in verse 24. Neither has he hid his face from him, but when he cries unto him, God the Lord hears. God is faithful in the middle of your trial. What's your trial today? Can you think of it? Like, what's the big burden you carry? Most of us have one. It might be a physical malady, it might be a mental or emotional or relational problem. It seems impossible. Like, It can't be resolved in a good way. There's no good way. I just want to remind you that God is faithful. Here's His promises in Psalm 22, verses 24 through 26. He does not despise your trial. He's not hiding His face from you. He hears you when you cry out to Him. You can still praise Him because those that seek Him will find Him. He is the source of eternal life. So lean into the Father. David did. Jesus did. You and I should as well. That's number one. But I want you to see the bigger picture here. It's really about Jesus. We should rejoice in what Jesus did on the cross. Rejoice in what Jesus did on the cross. If you're saved, this should be a, a chapter, a psalm of rejoicing. He suffered the rejection of the Father and a fellow man and the pain and the disrespect for us thank you jesus thank you when we were in germany um our missionary there dan brown was explaining to us one of the challenges with parenting missionary kids it's a it's a tough thing and by the way we should pray for our missionary kids Uh, i think mari mentioned that when we came back and gave our little report we should pray for our missionary kids it's a tough thing Here's what he was explaining to us. He said, so my kids are like teen and preteen kind of age. So they come back to the States and they're just weird. And he's saying this in front of his kids. Like, they're, they're just weird. We're just weird. We know we're weird. We, um, we just don't understand American idioms. We don't understand American culture. We don't get it. We don't understand. It's different. The churches in the States are different. The way the teenagers talk is different. The things they're familiar with is different. It's just strange. And so they don't belong at home back in the States. But here everybody knows they're Americans and so they don't really belong here either. So it's hard for them to have a, a peer group that accepts them and it's hard for us as parents to know where to allow them to be and it's just really challenging. And so they end up being what they call third culture kids. And I said, can you just define for me what you mean by a third culture kid? He said, well, it's a kid that doesn't belong in either world. They don't belong here. They don't belong there. They just don't feel like they belong Anywhere, and he said, "You should pray for our teenagers that are on the that are on the foreign field." I was thinking about Jesus. He was in that spot, right? He no longer belonged in heaven because he had sin on him. (laughs) God wouldn't even look at him. God forsook him because of my sin, and yet he didn't belong on earth. That wasn't his domain either. He'd just been there for. A couple of decades, he certainly didn't feel like he belonged. He was rejected by everybody, and so he didn't belong here. He didn't belong there. There was no place Jesus could call home. He was forsaken. He was truly alone. And he did that so that you and I would never be alone. Isn't that incredible? I mean, the the paradox is just remarkable that he purchased for me... The, the, the opportunity to never be abandoned by being abandoned. And so if you're saved, rejoice in the sacrifice of Jesus. But I want to just say, lastly, if you're seeking, receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. Receive the gift of salvation. Jesus died on the cross for mankind. The question is, is it personal to you? Did he die for you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Does his death matter to you? On the cross, there was two thieves, as I mentioned earlier, one on his right, one on his left. One of them reviled him and, and, and railed on him. The other one eventually said, Lord, when you enter paradise, would you remember me? Which one illustrates you? You have to acknowledge he's holy and you're not. You have to receive his free gift of salvation by faith. You've got to put down your own effort And hold exclusively to Jesus. Because here's the scary truth. And if you miss everything else today, get this, okay? Here's the really scary truth. Jesus was abandoned by the Father on the cross. For you and for me. And it was agonizing. It was terrible. But for people that reject his gift of salvation, someday they'll understand what He went through because they'll be abandoned. The worst part of hell is that there's no God. The worst part of hell is that He's abandoned. Those souls, they're gone. They're unredeemable. There's no hope. Can you imagine that? Facing an eternity where there's no hope, where there's no God, where there's no redemption... Millions throughout eternity will ask this haunting question, God, why have you forsaken me? And there will be no answer. Sin, unconfessed and unforgiven, will condemn souls forever. Don't be one of those souls. Confess your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and understand what it means to be a true son of God. Father, thank you for these truths and thank you for just reminding us of what you and Jesus sacrificed for our salvation. Lord, I'm afraid that for many of us, we hear this and we, we just kind of tip our hat to it. We don't really um, value and embrace the sacrifice. We forget what Jesus went through when you turned your back on him and that he did it for us. Lord, we sing so many songs talking about the truth of salvation found in Jesus alone. And yet sometimes they're just words and we forget what an incredible cost was paid for our salvation. Help us today to worship you for that. Lord, help us to remember that you will never abandon us. Help us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, as David described in Psalm 23, to remember that you are with us all the time. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, would you make this the day where they quit trying to do it on their own? They quit trying to earn a relationship with you, and they they realize that's only possible through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father but through Him. Lord, that today would be the day of salvation where they say, I trust Jesus. I accept that free gift that He offers on the cross. I accept His righteousness and lay my sin at His feet that I might be accepted in heaven and I might have eternal life. Lord, if there's someone here today that's not saved, would you help them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and tell someone else and start the process of growing in you. Thank you for this passage and for these truths. I pray that you would lock them into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Please stand as we conclude our service this morning. I
1: once was lost in darkest night. No.
0: for
3: watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you and He loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. The Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you.
1: We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.